without further ado, we'll <laughs> introduce our next speaker, which is Bentley Bird. She's a vertebrae collection manager at the museum, which means she's like a librarian, but for dead things with backbones. She is also an example of, a nomative, of nomative determinism, as she has an affinity for and a background in birds. She also stuffs them as part of her job. She has two giant dogs and is an advocate and volunteer for a greyhound rescue, rescue group. Please welcome Bentley Bird. Maybe that's right. Does that sound good? Yeah. Good? All right. And I can see to about here. Oh, so hello. I'm Bentley. So I'm a uh, wildlife biologist by education and a museum scientist by occupation. Uh, I grew up in Florida and I should have crossed paths many times with my science hero as we share many commonalities. And she's also still alive, unlike the other ones this evening. Um, so in my field of natural sciences, I am spoiled for choice for my labora story, which I have to say it like that, otherwise I go back to labra story, which is what I would naturally say, and then people think I'm talking about one of my dog things. So <laughs> I have many <laughs> people to choose from for my labora story tonight in natural sciences, um, including, of course, Darwin, E.O. Wilson, John Gould, and then I thought, no, I want to talk about the ladies. So then I went through my other list, uh, Elizabeth Gould, Jane Goodall, any of the people at that back table there, and <laughs> then I decided on who I'd like to speak about tonight. So 51% of the planet's population is women. Surprise, everyone knows that, I think, now. Uh, less than 10% of leadership positions in science are occupied by women. Dr. Margaret Lohman, uh, who I'm speaking about tonight, is uh, the Chief of Science and Sustainability at California Academy of Sciences in San Francisco. She is only the second woman hired uh, in a science leadership position in their 150-year history. So, big deal. I know. Um, so Meg Lohman is known as many things. She is a booming voice in raising awareness and supporting and promoting women in science. She is a wildlife biologist and arbornaut. She is a conservation biologist. She is the ultimate working mother. She is known as the mother of canopy biology and the mother of dragons. She is Canopy Meg. That's actually her Twitter handle, so you can hashtag her and all that business, at Canopy Meg. I learned all about you tonight, it was amazing. Uh, you know, you can do that if you want. So, anyway, Meg was born in 1953 in upstate New York to, like many of us, non-science parents. She was, like many of us, awkward and shy. And she, like many of us, collected bird's nests and wildflowers and hid them under her bed. <laughs> Her parents tolerated her sciencey behaviors. Uh, then she entered a fifth grade science fair with her phone book pressed wildflowers and won second place. So, yay, go Meg. Um, so she won second place amongst a bunch of boys and all of their volcano science projects. Her parents thought, oh, this is okay. She's good at science. 
maybe we'll, you know, support her and stuff. So they got on her after that and thought she was, she was on to something with science. But at a young age, Meg did become aware that there weren't very many girls in science. Uh, she did some research into her family tree, sure to find some great scientist in the family. Um, all she found was evidence of a stint in whiskey making. But she took that as her science link and went on. Meg went to Williams College in Massachusetts, which was a boys-only uni until 1970. So surprise, surprise, it was slightly male-dominated. Um, and she was only the, uh, in the second class of women to graduate from Williams College, where she studied geology, but then switched to biology when the male-dominated geo-field trips consisted of boys chucking their hammers at birds. So she then moved on to complete her PhD at Duke, in forestry, again, happened to be a male-dominated field. And then she had a chance to work at the University of Sydney in Australia. And of course, she did what any American in her position would do, dump her American boyfriend and move to Australia. <laughs> Hi. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, so she did really well. Um, she worked on her project in canopy biology and designed the first suspended canopy walkway. So those big ones that, you know, everyone knows everywhere, that was Meg. Meg did it. She just didn't patent it. So now they're everywhere and she's not rich. Um, but she also got into entomology there. There was a lot of kind of cohesiveness between her plants and the bugs. Anyway, there was a spark and she did some bug stuff too. Uh, anyway, she discovered Australia too was a male dominated country. So this was in the 70s when she was completing her, uh, finishing up this work and it was just a bit, you know, in the rugged outback and on the way to the rainforest. Um, so she also discovered that there were men only pubs. So she'd go up on her trip from Sydney up to her rainforest to do her work and she would be refused at pubs, which she didn't really understand, um, but it was, it was commonplace. Um, and then even her male supervisor during her project brought her into his office and said, Meg, why are you working so hard? You're just gonna get married and have children. What are you doing? So she was obviously very disheartened. She took it to heart, did a little bit more research, and then married an Australian sheep farmer and had kids in Australia. So um, although she didn't give up on science, as she was warned, she was still the ultimate working mother. Personally, I would take Jane Goodall's approach of mothering in the field, which is putting your child in a cage while doing field work. But not Meg. She was better than that. She strapped her kids to her back and climbed up the trees and still did her canopy research. Um, but as time went on, it, it wore a bit thin. It was tough. She um, went back as a single mother, went back to America, uh, and was tired of the male-dominated Australia in the 70s. Uh, but she was still, as she went back, still working doing the ultimate um, challenge of balancing children and data. So now Meg is doing amazing things, empowering women in science. She's had a hand in developing the best canopy biology field techniques used today. She encourages kids to get into their environment. She does say, take someone's kids into nature. Not even yours, but probably with permission. So, you know, probably heed that advice. Um, <laughs> but now she's also uh, doing ur urgent, for forest, ugh, urgent forest conservation work in Ethiopia, working with the tiny pockets of forest, uh, remaining forest left around the churches um, in Ethiopia. Meg's CV is 26 pages long. 
she is doing very well at being fabulous. Somewhere in between harnessing her kids to the trees in Australia and now, Meg was raising her kids in my hometown of Sarasota, Florida, where her boys had scientific publications by the age of 10. They went to the smart school. I didn't, but we, and anyway, we won't go into that. Um, <laughs> while all that was happening and her children were being published by the age of 10, Meg was also caught up in Sarasota's scandal of the century. I want to talk to you and tell you a story about orchids. Ooh. Uh, Susan Orlean, author of The Orchid Thief, says, nothing in science can't account for the way people feel about orchids. Orchids arouse passion more than romance. They are the sexiest flowers on earth. Mm. June 5th, 2002, a rare purple orchid arrives at Marie Selby Botanical Gardens Botanical in America, not Botanic Gardens. Just putting that out there, I'm not wrong. Marie Selby Botanical Gardens in small town Sarasota, Florida from an orchid dealer. The orchid has come from the jungles of Peru. Meg Lohman, the CEO of Selby Gardens, is away. Selby Gardens boasts 6,000 living orchid species, so it's safe to say they're into their orchids. It's also safe to say that orchid people are nuts. The Selby Gardens taxonomists are super excited about this delivery. They know it's special. They describe the previously undescribed species, and then, of course, they publish the new species name. This genus of orchid is known to be endangered, and importing such an orchid without a permit would be a breach of the Endangered Species Act. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> a competing taxonomist and former, former Selby employee heard the news of the new species description as it was published by Selby Gardens, as you do. He cried foul. He had been working on the species description from photos because importing it would be illegal. Hmm. Selby Gardens was swiftly subpoenaed and charges were laid after the Selby Gardens taxonomist, orchid dealer, and Selby Gardens as a whole pled guilty to breaching the Endangered Species Act. That's kind of a big deal. Not a lot of institutions can say that they've done that. <laughs> Meg, poor Meg, on vacation, living it up in wherever she was, probably in the canopy doing something with her children that's nice. Meg was pinned with the whole thing as she was in charge, she was the CEO at the time. Although, I think, and she thinks, and a lot of other people think, she had nothing to do with it. She did not plead guilty, but was fired, still for other reasons. Hmm. Interesting. She stood up for what was right, and Selby Gardens had to pay a fine, and also had to take out an embarrassing ad in an American Orchid magazine, full page, apologizing for what they had done, breaching the Endangered Species Act, which no one does if you're a botanical gardens. Meg went on to write many publications and hold many research positions at well-respected institutions, including mine, the University of Florida. Go Gators! And Selby Gardens floundered. Meg's passion and the way she overcame becoming, uh, being involved in Sarasota's very own orchid scandal, along with her determination to empower women in science while being an excellent model of the ultimate working mother by not putting her children in cages in the field, are the reasons why 
at Canopy Meg, it's her Twitter, is my science hero. Thank you very much.